I came across Sally a few times, and we've never spent that much time together. But there was an instant connection, an instant uh, great deal of respect I have for her. And, and after the sermon today and the visit last night, great deal of respect for you as well. Um, and, and by the way, don't worry about that. My dog's hanging by a thread. They tell me that every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they make me jump for the check. <laughs> I think that's a bit undignified. Um, Sally is, is one of the wise women in my life. Uh, there are people who know a lot, but they cannot really work a room and help you understand where they are. And there are people that know a lot, and then they'll tell you and try to drag you across the line. She's much more interested in hearing and leading. I think she would have made a, um, a, a great female Socrates or Aristotle, even Plato, because she does it by the questions and the leading and the guidance. And uh, again, Sally Gary's a dear friend of mine. Uh, I, you're, you're going to be very blessed. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over because I don't know exactly. You, they've only given you the one chair. And, and one's higher than the other, so who has the rank? I want to stand for a little bit. She wants to stand for a bit. All right. And because afterwards you're going to be mobbed with people just throwing your money and ba their babies high into the air and such. Right. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a hug. Thank you. And yeah. just consider yourself hugged. Right. Yeah. It's really oh, hot. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. I, I have been coming to Nashville since 1996, almost on a, a yearly basis. But this is my first time to get to worship with my brothers and sisters at 4th Avenue. And, and that's wonderful. And... Pat, as much as I love hearing you preach every Sunday at Highland Oaks, you yeah, know, yeah. Patrick, I've got to come back now so I can hear you. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Yeah. We'll do that. It's great to be with you this morning. I, I really am, am looking forward to this time that we have together. I, I don't know how much you know uh, about my story. Uh, I wrote a memoir. Uh, it's been about six years ago. And uh, I shared a lot in that particular tale about my upbringing. When we sang How Great Thou Art this morning, I instantly went back. I could have closed my eyes and I would have been at the Truth and Broad Church of Christ in Wichita Falls, Texas on the Oklahoma border, sitting between my mom and dad with Marianne White sitting behind us, blasting the alto. The high tenor somewhere over in the other part of the congregation. We were third row from the front. When people like Jimmy Jividen preached. When you had um, communion every Sunday together. You see, I know all those traditions too because I grew up like so many of you. It's just that <coughs> later in my life as I grew up, as I was the leader of the youth group, as I never ever walked away from this body that was as I was taught my family and still is, 
I began wrestling with something that I had absolutely no idea what to do with. Yeah, and that was my own sexuality. Because you see, back in the 60s and 70s, and I see you can't fool me, some of you remember the 60s and 70s. Those were the good old days, but let's be honest, we didn't talk about anything that was hard, did we? We put our Sunday clothes on and our smiles and we had our act together and there was nothing wrong. And we were at church every Sunday, the perfect family. But I was wrestling on the inside with feelings that I had no idea what to do with. When I was a junior at Abilene Christian University, I found myself deeply drawn to my best friend who was a girl. I had no idea what to do with that. I knew that my feelings for her went far beyond friendship, that there was a romantic component to that, that there was a sexual attraction that developed from there. And so, I had no idea what to do. Here I am at a Christian university, but I didn't dare say anything to anyone. And I kept that secret 15 more years until it nearly ate me alive. It's the secrets that we keep that kill us. Such a contrast, you know, such a contradiction from what I was taught about this body that is the place that I can always go and find help. Whether I know people, if I'm out of town, I can go and find a Church of Christ and they'll help me there. But I can't tell you the secret because I'd heard the things that happened to people who were found out. Their families turned away their relatives, their moms and dads ceased all communication. And so I was petrified that if I shared that with anyone, just to find out, what do I do with this? What does this mean about me? And what does this mean about me as a follower of Jesus? How do I live the rest of my life out? I had absolutely no guidance. None of my brothers and sisters have had any guidance in that realm either. That's why years later, when I finally came out at the age of 35, <clears throat> 35 years I carried that secret. Well, not quite 35. <clears throat> at that point, I began to realize we had to talk about this. And so that's when uh, the ministry of Centerpiece came to be. I've got some materials that will be available up here that you can read more, more about the retreats that we host for moms and dads of LGBT children, uh, the retreats that we have for LGBT Christians. We're having one in the Nashville area in November, and I would love to visit with you about any of that after uh, we get finished today. But that's a little bit about me and about my background 
And so when I hear sermons about how Jesus invites all of us to the table, uh, it does my heart good because there's a reminder there that that means all people. All people. Um. One of the things that <clears throat> could potentially frustrate you about the class this morning is that there is no possible way to have a constructive theological conversation um, about, you know, the LGBT community and uh, all the scriptures that, you know, we could dive into about sexuality. There's just no way. And people often are disappointed when they walk out of the class with Sally, because, I mean, they walk away with one predominant question. Well, well, Pat, is it wrong? And the only thing that I would invite you to consider is the complexity of that question when it has to do with people instead of problems. Okay, uh, some of you in here know what it's like to feel like a problem. Um. Back in my church growing up in Tullahoma, Tennessee, uh, when somebody got divorced, that was a problem. And we had a hard time seeing that person that went through the lens of a problem. And so as far as our journey at, at, at Highland Oaks, and particularly my uh, early, um, I hate to use a word like fascination, but I picked up the Christian Chronicle and I read this story about Sally and I thought, who is this human being that is not, not only uh, okay with talking about uh, this elephant in the room, but there was something that endeared me to this conversation because if you haven't noticed, this was almost seven, eight years ago, this conversation hasn't gone away. Uh, in fact, it's probably gotten more uh, divisive and there's a lot of uh, a fear associated with that. And, and I guess for me, um, as a straight white male who has four children who, um, as far as I know, are also straight, this is a really shaping conversation for me. As the pastor of a church, as, as a youth minister of, of children who, who were struggling with their sexuality, you know, I wanted them to know that there was a place that they could be ruthlessly honest and ask hard questions as a person rather than as a problem. <clears throat> because the way I have grown in my reading of the Bible, um, I, I feel like Jesus is my lens through which I view everything. And when you view Jesus through the lens of Paul, I think that's out of focus. Because Paul, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I've got something to say, but what's most important is death, burial, and resurrection. See, Paul was living out of the story of Jesus as he instructed these churches. And, and for me, I, I want to continue to lead my church in the image of Jesus, which is vastly different than leading my church into the image of Paul. Now, now, some of you may think, well, you just don't think Paul matters. Well, I do think Paul matters a lot, just not as much as Jesus. And, and I think we always have to go back to the story of Jesus 
as the foundation for these conversations. And Sally, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we encounter at Highland Oaks, and I know you encounter with Centerpiece, is really this spirit of fear. So talk to us for a moment about maybe some ways you've experienced that fear, but also in the stories that you've heard from, from children, from adults who come to you who are terrified. I mean, what do you say? Where do you start? Oh, man, how long do we have? Um, I was told Mark was going to start playing the guitar at 11 if I wasn't done. So uh, if nobody's got a guitar, we're good. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> Just keep playing or keep talking through the music. That's right. Uh, you know, there, there are so many stories uh, of our fear. I think um, on, on both sides of the coin there, there's, I, th I think I encounter fear from Christians um, in just simply opening this conversation. So can I say uh, congratulations, God bless you, because you've opened a conversation that a, a lot of places are not ready to open. Mm -hmm. and, and it may take a long time. You know, there were people uh, having this conversation 15, 20, 30 years ago, but at whatever point you enter the, the conversation, hallelujah, because that means what, what's happening is that your children and your grandchildren are aware that there's a conversation about homosexuality, about same-sex attraction, about LGBT issues, whatever label you want to put on that, there's a conversation happening at this church. And if I was in your church when I was five, that would have helped me know, huh, my church talks about that. I could talk about that with these people. That's not taboo. And that's what, what created the fear. Uh, the fear is that everything is going to change. If you know this other thing about me, about my sexuality, that everything will change. All of the things that you love about me before you knew will instantly go away. I'm no longer sweet and kind and funny and uh, argumentative and opinionated. Uh, you know, all of those Stubborn. things. Stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> it's as though those are all gone, and this, this is the pinnacle. This is the only thing that we can now see about Sally. That's what we're afraid of, because you will instantly treat us differently. And every look, it, it turns into a sort of paranoia on our part because then we're scared that, what does that look mean? They didn't speak to me this morning. I, 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 they didn't call me. I, because it's true that we have heard the stories. I, I told you about my friends, and, and we may think, well, that was back in the 80s, Sally. People don't do that anymore. Oh, yes, they do. I encountered a 15-year-old boy a couple of years ago who went into his mother at 13 years old and told her that he thought he was gay. And she took him to his room 
locked him in his room with his Bible and told him not to come out until he was ready to not say that anymore. He was in there for days. When his father came home, he told him through the door that he would rather him be dead than be gay. This in 2017. In a huge metroplex. Not in some small rural town where we don't talk about such things, but in a large urban area. He finally was discovered by CPS and he was taken away from his family and placed in a foster home. And that's how I came in contact with him because his youth minister had been a former student of mine. That's what we're afraid of. And those stories are on the internet and the internet is right in the palm of your children's hands. And if you think that they are not bodily scared to death to tell you because what they hear and what reality often is, is that Christians are the most homophobic and the most likely to turn us away. I didn't dream that my mom and dad would do such a thing, and they didn't. Thank God for that. But I was afraid that they would because I knew how important it was to them for me to live as God calls me, and at that point in time, I had no idea what God would call me to because nobody had ever been willing to talk to me about that. We've got to dispel the fear and the shame, the shame that's crippling. That's, that's what keeps us away. And one of the things that Sally has taught me is that the thing that overcomes shame and fear is through getting to know someone's story. I, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I wish you would hear this. The best thing you can ever say to someone, whether it be a child, an adult, or a parent, the best thing you can say is simply this. Tell me what that's like and listen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it would do for the, those in the, in the gay community at our church if more of my folks who remember the 60s and 70s would have no agenda other than, can, can you tell me what this is like? One of the things I love about my shepherd, Tom Howard here, who's come with us, and we met with uh, some of the shepherds last night, which was a really, really great conversation, is Tom, I, I think his M.O. as a shepherd is to cry with people. And Tom gets picked on a lot for being the crying shepherd, and I defend him a lot. <laughs> because, because there's Tom crying, and then there's Albert crying, right? Um, you know, when Albert cries, nobody knows why. It's just... <laughs> Lord. Um, I love Albert Lemons. Um, but, but, but Tom's pastoral instinct is to say, what, what's this like for you? So this is a Bible class. I want, I want to take you to Simon's house for just a moment. 
Simon the Pharisee asks Jesus over for dinner. And I want you to pretend for a moment that Simon was not an ugly, mean-hearted person. That Simon was a really good guy who just wanted to have Jesus over for dinner. So Jesus comes, and as you know how this story goes, a woman who is a sinner, that's the only way she's been characterized by Luke, she's a problem, comes in and begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. And Simon has a conversation with... You told me you wanted to stand. I would have given you this chair. You know, they brought me a chair. I'm going to sit. I told you she was stubborn. Uh, Anyway, um, so Simon has this conversation with himself. Who is this woman? If this person were a teacher, he would have known who was touching her. And what's frustrating about this story is I see a lot of myself in Simon. Simon is having Jesus over for dinner and wants an exclusive meal. And here this woman barges in and Simon doesn't say a word. He's talking to himself. But Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say. So are we going to listen to Jesus? And so, of course, Jesus tells this story about the forgiveness of debts. And then Jesus says something really fascinating. He asks Simon a question. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Which is a really dumb question. Because there is no way that Simon can't not see this woman. But I think what Jesus is after is, Simon, do you see this woman as a person or as a problem? That's what Sally and Centerpiece stand for. Their main objective is not to present a theological argument for the affirming position or the non-affirming position. Their objective is to create safe places so churches can see people and not problems. Because for some reason, we have no problems (laughs) seeing people except you. And that's hard. And it's hard when, when you hear a consistent kind of argument about, well, the church wants to welcome everybody. But then my friends in the LGBT are like, well, that's not always true. Because once I finally grow comfortable enough to share who I really am, all of a sudden the dinner invitations completely drop off. So Sally and some of our friends have started this uh, ministry called Just Dinner. Tell us about Just Dinner and some of the goodness that, that's come from that. Oh, this, this is one of the sweetest things I think we've ever done. And it, it's one of those really organic things that I, I just, I grew up uh, with a, a mom who had everybody and their brother over for dinner. And that was just what we did. And we were always feeding people. So when I began to think, how in the world could we begin to move in the hearts of my LGBT siblings who have been so wounded by church, who have been completely ostracized, cast out, literally told, you cannot be here. People who have had internships, worked at camps, helped with children's ministry, 
And when they confess that these are their feelings, they're told they can no longer help. There's been no sin committed. They've just simply revealed that they were gay. And they've been cut off. That has been deeply hurtful to the point that many of them want absolutely nothing to do with church. I could tell you some horrendous stories. How do you get people who still are good. My friend whose parents walked away from him 35 years ago, whose father was a minister, he doesn't believe in God, but the person he is is the little boy that they raised. He's as Christ-like as they come. And so what do you do with people who still have those qualities about them? and who still want to be associated with people like they grew up with, but they can't set foot in a church building because it literally causes them to have heart palpitations. We invited some friends to dinner. I say we, I invited five friends, and I said, here's what I want to do is, is just start having people over for dinner. So next month, we're going to invite a friend apiece, and we doubled in size the next month. There's no agenda. There's no agenda. There's no expectation. Yeah, but Sally, don't you need to tell? No. No. There is no agenda. Nowhere in Scripture do I read Jesus telling people instantly, instantly upon first meeting, during a meal, it's just dinner. It's just dinner. Do you know that in 18 months, we've grown from those five people to nearly 100 people in the secret Facebook group that we have? And we'll average between 25 to 40 every time. Pat has hosted, Tom and Christy have hosted, my ministers have hosted those just dinners and other families. It's been absolutely amazing because you see, you need a lot of time. When you've had a wound at 14 that says, just because you told me you're gay, you can no longer be trusted around children. You see, that was based on a myth, a lie that we believed and we damaged that young boy's picture of church and what Christianity is. And you have to take some drastic measures. You have to get in the mess of the Holy Spirit and not just sit by and watch like a movie. I loved that, Pat. Because it's messy. And people don't look like you want them to look. Why would they? Because they've missed out on some of the most formative years of their lives to be involved with fellow Christ followers. Where did I learn what it means to be a disciple? Where am I still learning what it means to be a disciple of Christ? Being in close association with these two men and an entire body of believers that looks out for me and teaches me and takes care of me. Where can we expect people to learn if you are cast out because you don't have this aspect of your life like we believe you need to have it? Who in here has every aspect of your life together as you believe God calls you to? I certainly can't raise my hand on that. That's what we've asked 
our LGBT brothers and sisters to do. And so we have lost three generations now. Three generations of people who have no idea and really no desire to be a part of the kingdom of God. My heart is for that population of people more than anybody else. I've gone to preaching now. Um, that's <laughs> Last time I checked, that's okay at this church. Um, <laughs> please, post that on Facebook. <laughs> Lesbian woman says X and X on 4th Avenue. Sorry, Patrick. Maybe not um, <laughs> One of the things I keep uh, thinking about is that... Um, And I talk a lot about the church where I grew up, and I don't want to sound condescending because, well, one, my mom's here. Uh, and secondly, um, it, was a, it was a beautiful church family. I, I mean, looking back on it, yeah, it was very conservative, but they loved me. But the tape that kept playing, the soundtrack that kept playing was, you have to believe X before you belong. And for me, I just can't see Jesus saying, well, you've got to believe this before you can come sit at my table. It, it really should be you need to belong before you believe. And then once you believe, then let's talk about the behavior. But when I'm in conversation with church leaders, they want to begin with behavior. That's their starting place. Well, Pat, don't you know at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus told the lady to go and sin no more. I get that, but you're going to base your entire theology of how to treat somebody in the LGBT community on the last sentence Jesus said out of John 8? I don't want to take away what Jesus said. I really do think that Jesus really wanted this lady, whatever she had done, to leave her life of sin. But it didn't start there. Jesus didn't lead with that. Jesus led with Connection. Jesus led with telling everybody else, well, if you think you're so spiritual, then why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? And, and so I wonder sometimes what it's like for Sally and what it's like for, for Matthew and, and for Zach and for Sabrina and for John to be the point of Jesus' story in John 8. I mean, why can't they be the point of some other stories? And, and really, I, I want us to come back to, if we're going to be a church of Christ, let's be a church who follows Christ. And that's not to say that I don't think Corinthians has value, or that Philippians can't offer some shaping things, or that I discount the Old Testament. But, but I do think that if I'm going to call our church a church of Christ, then we have got to get serious about following Christ. And what that means. So, I'm going to sit down and let Sally have the last word. Patrick, what time are we done? Okay. I have no idea when you're done. I'll, I'll be leaving here shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some, some of them have kids that will be released into the wild at 11.45. So, um, here's what typically happens. What typically happens after a class like this is there's like 85 people lined up to talk to Sally. 
and like one person that wants to shake my hand out of courtesy. Um, which, which I understand, I get. When you live life with a celebrity, that's just kind of what happens. So my invitation to you is to email Sally, and, and she will correspond with you. Um, but if your choice is to pick a fight with Sally, prepare to hear from me and Tom and several of our other shepherds because we want to protect her Amen. and this ministry that she's doing because it's so needed. Can I say one more thing? Sure. When my son graduated from high school, we had a blessing at our house. My son's an Enneagram 7 with a 7 wing. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that everything's a party for Joshua. And if he's feeling, he's like the Grinch, right? I'm feeling, and he doesn't know what to do with it. So his mom and I are crying. People around him are crying. And Joshua's just, you know. And it wasn't until Sally gave her blessing that my son wept. Wept. And what I would have missed out on if Sally was simply seen by the Bills family as some problem to fix. A few years ago, I called Sally and I said, something happened and I need some help with this. She goes, what? And I was kind of panicked. I said, Sally, I'm driving along the road. I forgot you were gay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the weirdest thing for me. But it was a beautiful thought because I had been in a relationship long enough to know that that's not what defined Sally anymore to me. She's my friend. She's my sister. She's my co-worker. And uh, we are committed to this work. Um, even though we don't always know what it means, we're going to trust deeply. So, yeah. Sally, I'll let you have the last word. Yeah. Well, um, that, that goes for me, too, uh, as far as the, the Bills family. Um, I wish that I could give the blessing of having a pastor like Pat to every LGBT person I know. If our experience had been uh, with a pastor like Pat or an elder like Tom, uh, I, think, I think we would see far more LGBT people in our churches still, still wanting to be uh, a part So what does that mean for this church at 4th Avenue? You know what? I, I don't know. Uh, that's why Centerpiece is committed, and we truly are committed to not uh, giving you uh, an answer, uh, not giving you a position. You know, I love our heritage for lots of reasons, uh, but uh, being autonomous is, is one of those because... People are different in different places, are they not? And you have different needs here in different situations and different history and past that shapes who you are today, and you need to consider that as you move forward, whatever that looks like for you. And so I can't tell you. I can only tell you the scenarios that I know to be true when we have discarded 
when we have been exclusive. But you're going to have to wrestle with God and, and with each other, perhaps. But I would encourage you, I would encourage you to do two things. Well, three things. And, and the first one is to pray. To pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you into what Pat talked about this morning. Whatever mess that looks like, and it'll look messy. Because some people may not get what the Holy Spirit is trying to do here among you. And they may say all kinds of things about you. In fact, I, I can almost guarantee that they will. But if it's what the Lord is calling you to, so that somebody can come home, then that's what, that's what I'm going to be about. I'd love for this place to be a place that I can say, you know what, my friends in Nashville, you go over to 4th Avenue. I know you will hear truth, you will hear gospel, you will be loved on, and nobody will turn you away. That's what church ought to be about. So pray about that and what that looks like for your family. Secondly, I'm going to encourage you to find somebody, and maybe it's me. You can email me. I've got cards. Come get a card. You can call me on the phone. And I'll talk for as long as you want to talk. That's what I do. But I would encourage you to get to know the person in your life that you think might be gay, but you've never said anything about it. And, you know, I wouldn't advise going up to them and saying, you know, I, I've, I've wondered, are you gay? <laughs> But being the, the sneaky, reprehensible trial lawyer that I used to be, I would phrase it like this. I would say, you know what? We had this woman come and teach our Sunday school class last week, and, and she's a gay Christian. Well, I didn't think you could be a gay Christian. Come to find out, that word means something very different than it did back in the 70s. She's not promiscuous at all. That's what it meant back in the 70s, right? Doesn't mean that anymore. And so when your kids use it, when you hear that, that you can be a gay Christian, no, no, we get all up in arms. Can't be a gay Christian. Yes, you can to our kids because it means something different. It simply means I'm attracted to women. That there's a natural attraction to women more than men. It's all it means getting bent out of shape over a little three-letter word, keeping us from having conversations about Jesus with our kids. Talk to them. Tell them that you learned that. And you're wondering what else you may not know, may not realize. Can you tell me, like Pat said a while ago, can you tell me what that's been like for you? I can imagine that's been hard. Tell me what it's been like with your family. And sit down and have a real conversation. You can do that over coffee, but boy, what would that be like to be invited into somebody's home? I've loved having my family at Highland Oaks invite me into their homes. Bring me food and share a meal with me. 
one of my elders and his wife make soup and they take it around and if you're lucky you are on their schedule to get some soup why not do that and have a real conversation with an LGBT person and get to know that person if it's somebody in your family call them this afternoon run to them this afternoon and say you've heard something that you're thinking about this in a different way and you want to talk and more than anything else you want them to know that they are loved and that nothing could ever change that. Boy, you talk about opening doors. Well, they'll think that I think that's okay. Really? You really think that? They know you, right? <laughs> 10 to 1, if it's family, they grew up going to church like you did, maybe. They know how you feel. We know. We know. Love covers a multitude, does it not? It is perfect love that casts out all fear. But Sally, no lights. Just dinner. <laughs> Just coffee. Just conversation. And then I want to challenge you. Because it's interesting to me how often... We believe we know everything that we need to know about something without ever investigating any further. How many of you have ever read uh, a blog article or an article on the internet about sexuality? How many of you have read a book? See, I know some of us are, are not readers, and I get that. Maybe you get two or three people together and you say, okay, we're going to look at the Centerpiece website, we're going to pick a book out. And maybe you start with something like Caleb Kaltenbach's Messy Grace, or you start with Preston Sprinkles, A People to Be Loved. Those are two I'd recommend on the more traditional side, but you know what? There are books on our website <coughs> that are more on the progressive side, for lack of a better term. Because those are the books that your kids have read, books like Torn by Justin Lee, books like God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, and by the grace of God, kids who have held on to their Christianity have been guided by those two young men. If you want to engage in conversation and if you're truly concerned that our kids are not going in the right direction, you have to know what they are reading. You have to know what has informed them. You have to get on the internet. Maybe you get them to help you and show you some of the stuff that they've read that has informed their opinions. Because if you don't, you will not be a credible voice in the conversation. Goodness, how we've come to believe that we know enough about this conversation when the research that's been done over the last 10, 20 years is mind-boggling. I know far more about my sexuality now 
than I did in 1996 when I first came out. And quite frankly, I know more than I knew in 2016. It is a constant growing field. And so if you think everything that needs to be said has already been said, I'm sorry, but that's just not true. Let's be a people who's informed. And that way, we can really be a voice in this world. But if we're not willing to learn and grow and wrestle with some really hard stuff, our kids are going to miss out on all the goodness that we have to show them. Oh, my word. Who's going to be with them in those hard moments of life in the next 10, 20, 30 years after we're gone? Who's going to be with them? I care deeply about that. If you do, come talk to me and we'll talk about how you can get plugged into this ministry. Let's pray and uh, then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to hear Sally's story. May we each be filled with your Holy Spirit and may we know your truth, grace, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.